0: Verse 14 These things write I unto thee shortly, hoping to come these things right I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world received up into the glory lord i pray god that you'd help me tonight lord pray that you'd uh, god minister to hearts god as is needed lord i pray that god you take lord what you've put on my heart god and minister to these folks god lord pray that you'd help us lord we'll thank you for it in jesus name i pray amen paul is talking to a fella to a young man named timothy obviously who he left at ephesus according to the first chapter he says, verse two. He says unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. So when Paul leaves Ephesus, he goes to Ephesus. He performs the work of an evangelist, wins a bunch of people to Christ, and tries to establish a church. And he leaves Timothy there to lead him and to guide him Lord, and to get him established. Well, when he does that, he leaves, he writes back to Timothy as he's still at Ephesus, and he gives some instructions on various matters. Timothy's a young pastor, and so he needs a lot of instruction. And so in chapter 3, he starts talking about if a man has the desire of a bishop, if a man desires to be put into the ministry. And I'm really not trying to deal with the things that he delineates in chapter 3. What I am trying to deal with is verse 14, 15, and 16. He says, I've I've taken the time to write all these things unto you, because I'm hoping to come unto you shortly. I'm hoping to come see you. He said, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. So he says, when I write this stuff unto you, I'm hoping that you'll be able to understand how you are to behave, how you are to behave. And make no mistake about it, there is a particular way that you are supposed to behave when you come to the house of God. And the house of God is not necessarily a building of brick and mortar. It's an assembly. It's a congregation. The church is people. It's not particularly a building. Now, having said that, let me just throw this in here and say this. I'm not going to, I am not at all going to throw off on the sanctity of the building that we, we colloquially will call the church. And the reason that I'm not going to throw off on that is because this is a building that has a dedicated purpose. It's not just, this is not a multi-purpose building. A lot of churches are going that way. H- help yourself. I'm not really too interested in that. I'm, I don't think a church should do that if you can help it. There, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of a, having a building that is set aside for worship, for Bible preaching, for Bible teaching, So forth and so on. I understand you get into a lot of different things with that, but I'm not interested in having, trying to have church in a building where somebody was having a honky-tonk the night before. And so, you know, it's just, you don't want to come into a place and have kids knocking holes in the sheetrock and, you know, people swinging from the chandeliers during the week and then try to come in on Sunday and have a church service. Uh... Six of one, half a dozen of the other, whatever you may think about this, what you do in this building throughout the week has an effect on the services. It does have an effect on the services. Uh, You bring a foul spirit in here and may not even be during a service, but you bring a foul spirit in here and then try to come in and have a service on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, and it's grievous. It's grievous. I think we've been through that before, so I'm not going to belabor that. But all of that to say that the church, when you're talking about the church, what you're really talking about is every person that has ever trusted Christ as their Savior from the moment that the, fir- the church started until the rapture, that's the church. And so, anyways, he goes on to that and he says, there's a way that you ought to behave when you come in, in this particular instance, he's not talking about the church, the, the body of Christ, he is talking about an assembly. And he says, there's a particular way that you have to behave and so he lays out a bunch of qualifications. Uh, just for sake of being there, turn, turn with me over to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, look in, with me in the book of Ecclesiastes very quickly. And this, I think this goes along. I've got to find the chapter very quickly. But this, this goes, if I can find it. There it is. If he, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Look in verse 1. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1. The Bible says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. That's a mouth rash. You don't want that. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Uh, You go throughout the book of Proverbs, and that's the same individual who's who's wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, but you go throughout the book of Proverbs, and there's a a strong encouragement for you to shh, hush your mouth. Let your words be few. Don't uh, fool others all as mine. A man, uh, even a fool, is counted wise when he holdeth his peace. Over and over again, when you go through the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs encourages you to shut your mouth. That way you don't let anybody know how dumb you are. When you, when you get to be a preacher and you stand up week after week after week, that's really difficult. Really, that's very difficult because you have the potential to say a bunch of things that let people know how dumb you really are. And so you have to, preachers have to take double caution of that. You have to be very careful about that. But if the book of Proverbs commends you as an individual, as a man, and says, hey, you have got to learn to shh, how much more when you come into a place that is dedicated for God's worship and for God's service, so to speak, for for prayer, for preaching, how much more should you lay your hand upon your mouth and silence yourself? And so he, he goes through that. There is a particular way to behave yourself when you get in the midst of the, of the assembly. And so when it comes to things of administration, Paul deals with, and I say administration, qualifications for the people that will be in administration. Paul deals with that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now all of that, let me put that aside and get on with the message and look in verse 14. He says, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry along that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He says, I want you to know how to behave yourself in the house of God, and then he makes this statement. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, we're Bible believers, and the heavy, em- the heavy emphasis Is on King James Bible, Jesus Christ, that's the truth. But that verse tells you that the church, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's an interesting thing. Now you have to be very careful when you get into a passage like this, because it's easy to delve over into Catholic doctrine and start taking the claim that what the church says is ex cathedra and it's just as if it was coming from the mouth of God, which is not what the verse says. The verse says it's the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, we don't have, well, actually, we do have two pillars of sorts sitting out on the porch. They're those two black things that all the kids like to hang on. I remember when I was a kid, I did the same thing. Just hang off and act like he was going to fall off. And eventually, one of those days, your hands will get tired and you will bust your head wide open. I hope not. But anyways, uh, those are pillars of sorts. And that that is not the ceiling. That is not the building those are supports for something that is sitting on top of it. And so with that in mind, he says, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now look at verse 16. He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So he says, he said, I, I wrote to you so you'd, know how, so you'd know how to behave in the house of God. And then he turns around and he calls the house of God the pillar and ground of the truth. And then in verse 16, he makes this statement on the mystery of godliness which is really one of the most significant doctrines in the Bible. It's a statement on the deity of Jesus Christ. It's no coincidence that those things are in order right after each other. I want you to know how to behave. I'm not going to deal with that too much tonight. But he says, I want you to know how to behave in the church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. And oh, by the way, Here's the mystery of godliness and he goes on to explain that. So what you have in verse 15, what we're going to look at tonight, what I'm trying to lead you up to is that in verse 15 you have, or in verse 16 you have the truth. There it is staring you in the face. Mystery of godliness. That's not the complete body of truth, but there's an aspect of it, the mystery of godliness. There's the truth. Well, in verse 15 what you have is something that is to hold that truth up. It's the pillar and ground of that truth. When you go throughout the entire scripture, particularly New Testament doctrines, but not just New Te- Testament doctrines in exclusiveness, throughout the entire scripture, it is, it's the whole book, it's the complete body of revelation that God has given to man. The church's responsibility is to take that truth and hold it up. When God takes his truth and he hands it down to men, the people that he hands it to Is the church. He hands it to his bride. And her responsibility is to not change it. Her responsibility is to not try to enforce it per se. Her responsibility is not to make the truth any more true. The truth does not need you to verify it, the truth needs you to cut it loose. That's what the truth needs. Uh, regardless of whether or not you, somebody gets offended at something that you say or they get aggravated with you know, something that you're doing that's in conformity with the principles and it's in rectitude with God's, uh, with God's principles, regardless of whether somebody gets upset about that stuff, you don't have to stand on your tiptoes and scream and holler about that stuff. Although if you're preaching, I understand you do that for the sake of not boring people to death, But at the same time, you're out witnessing to somebody and they don't believe a word that you're saying. You don't have to shove it down their throat. You don't have to argue about somebody that, hey, there's a mason block wall there. If you run at full speed, you're probably not going to move that thing. Anybody want to try? Let's get some of these youngins and just get them to run full blast. And let's see what happens. No, you don't have to do that. No demonstration necessary. If you don't believe that, I don't have to get mad at you. I don't have to get all up in arms. And what do you mean you're insulting my religion? No, man, it's just the truth. Yeah. All it needs is for me to just hold it up and just say, hey, here, here it is. This, is. this is all it is. You can get your little feelings hurt. I, I've made statements like this. I've made statements like this on Sunday mornings and uh, even in, on Wednesday evenings. I've made statements along the lines of your feelings don't matter and, you know, who cares what you think? And you can just about feel the grievousness coming off of some folks and just, oh, what do you mean? What What do you mean? I mean, uh, my feelings matter. Well, when it comes to the truth, no, they don't. If you're going to take your feelings and pit them against what God said, your feelings can go in the trash can. The way that you think things need to roll, if it goes in... To, if it goes uh, in animosity, if it goes opposite to the way that God says things you need to roll, then you just have to get your feelings hurt. God's not going to stop his steamrolling machine just because of your feelings. Let me tell you something if you're sitting in here and you lost this evening, which I don't know that there is anybody, but you never know. But if you're sitting in here lost this evening, you can sit in your mind in the privacy of your home and argue about the fact of whether or not there is a hell or not. But I'm telling you, one day you push that decision off, you're going to find out. You're going to find out. Feelings or no feelings, notwithstanding, makes no difference. That's, see, the thing that separates the church from the rest of the world is that we believe in absolute truth. We don't believe in this garbage of speak your truth. You don't have any. You just don't have any. You don't have any truth. Any truth that there is is held by God in a monopoly. And see... Here's, here's why folks get real uncomfortable with that thing. Here's why you begin to lose people's attention when you start talking about that stuff because what that requires is subjection. It's not a thing, listen, it's not a thing of just an intellectual assent. It's not a thing of just I have to believe this way just because this is the creed of my church. Not believing in a creed. We believe in a person and a body of truth sitting right there. It's not a creed. And see, when you pick up this book and you read it, your responsibility is to subject yourself to the person that it's connected to, that requires a little bit of humility, requires a little bit of humility, but nonetheless, you've gotten verse 16, truth, you've got verse 15, you've got the pillar and ground of that truth, the church, and I've said it before, I said it just a couple of minutes ago in a different way, but let me say this, the church is not a collection of priests and archbishops. That is not what the church is. The church is not a a selection of, well, let me not go there. Let me just leave that right there. It's not a collection of priests and archbishops. It's a collection of believers. And listen, it is my responsibility to take the truth and hold it up, but it's just as much yours. And let me say this, let me say this. It is not my responsibility to be the pillar and ground of the truth as an individual per se, now, you think about that. The, the reason I say that is because God's not looking for a spiritual Rambo. God's looking for the church. God, listen, we get so sentimental about Christianity. If I was the only one, Jesus Christ would have came and died for me. And you've heard Brother Mike mention that. Well, why didn't he come die for Adam when he was the only one? See, what God wants is a bride. What God wanted in the Old Testament was a nation. God was interested in numbers. He got a whole book written about it. God's interested in people. He's just not going to sacrifice the truth to get it. He's not going to sacrifice his holiness to get it. That's right. That's right. God is never, let me just ride this for a second right here, not really related to the sermon. God's not going to drop his principles to get more folks. God just isn't going to do that. God's not going to drop his holiness. He's not going to drop his standards just so that somebody else feels comfortable around him. God is going to be who he is, holy, pure, clean, just, orderly. And if you, don't, if you can't handle that, God will continue to deal with you by his grace if you'll stick around but if you won't stick around, God's not gonna run and chase you down and say, oh, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. That's the way that the Lord is because that's the way that truth is. I'm so thankful that God is just as much holy as he is gracious, but I'm so thankful that he's just as much gracious as he is holy. The chasm between us and God is in in the beginning and even now. It's spanned by grace. But that grace is not an excuse for you to trample over God's holiness. Amen. Amen. But anyways, so he says, let me get back here. The church's responsibility is to hold that truth up. When the church loses sight of that goal, when she loses sight of that responsibility, to hold up the truth, she's the pillar and ground of the truth. When she loses sight of that, the church as a whole, when she loses sight of that, which she has... You know what sets in? Apostasy. The thing that sets in is everybody's going to start trying to build a church whatever way they want to build it. Let's bring in bounce houses and pizza parties and let's bring in the clowns for vacation Bible school, which I'm not against all that stuff per se. Just not going to do that as church recruitment. The way that you get folks into church is you evangelize them. Amen. Amen. That's, that's what happens. So when she loses the focus of her, of her attention that goes on the truth, she falls then into apostasy. And listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether she loses the focus on the truth by compromise. She just willingly yields up her standards and her principles and says, I'd rather have this than the truth, and so I'll give up a little bit of the truth so I can get this. Whatever this is, That's compromise. So whether she loses her focus on the truth through compromise, whether she loses it by distraction, you know, all this other stuff going on in the world, politics is a big thing that churches get distracted with. It's a big thing that churches get distracted with. Not telling you you shouldn't be involved. All I'm telling you is don't get distracted. Remember what your purpose is. Amen, amen, amen. Some Christians are more concerned about cleaning up the hog pen that they're living in than they are about going over yonder. Amen. Nonetheless, whether it be by compromise or distraction or just tenderfooted, footed I don't want to make nobody mad. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. Doesn't matter. When she loses sight of the fact, when the church loses sight of the fact that her responsibility is the truth, she's heading towards apostasy. Let me ask you a question. If the church is the pillar and ground of the truth and she lets it fall, who's going to hold it up? Who's going to hold the truth up? I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody. It's your responsibility. I preached to you a message a while back about that verse over in 2 Thessalonians. Turn over there very quickly, just to, probably one page back for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And everybody's got a theory on who that he is. Who's the he that's letting? Who's the he that's hindering? Some say it's the Holy Spirit. You know that's not true because the Holy Spirit's got a ministry during the tribulation. He got, he's got a work that he does. He doesn't leave when the tribulation takes place. You know who does leave? The church. You know what God told the church? You know what he, well, he told his disciples, but it, the principle rolls right down to the disciples, he, or to the church, he says, ye are the salt of the earth. You know how she, you know how she the church remains salty? She takes the truth and she holds it up. She's the pillar and ground of the truth. You take, you take a roof, listen, you take a roof and you set it upon a pillar. That pillar bears the weight of that roof whether entirely or in part or whatever. You take these walls and you remove those walls, you know what's going to happen to this roof? It's not going to stay suspended in thin air. It's going to fall. It's going to fall. Take your Bible and look in Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Look in verse 9. Isaiah 59, verse 9. The Bible says, Therefore is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity, for brightness, but we walk in darkness. Now that's a bad situation to be in. Justice is far from you, judgment's far from you, and justice will not overtake you. How many folks you reckon tonight are crying out for justice? And that's, a, that's something that's needed in this country. It's something that's needed in your life. You say, oh, no, I want grace. I'll tell you what, you get all grace all the time, and we'll see how much you appreciate it. Let your husband, let your husband or your wife step out on you, and all you can think about is grace, 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 grace. Amen. Aren't we supposed to forgive and forget? Well, you're supposed to be just first. You're not supposed to step out on your husband and wife. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's where we've gotten to, by the way. Grace, 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 grace. Until it means nothing. And so everybody can go do whatever the blazes they want to do without any kind of consequences. That's not grace. That's lasciviousness. Yes, sir. That's what Jude's talking about in the first couple of verses. Well, they've got here to where there is no judgment. There is no justice. Verse 10, we grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation. But it is far off from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Let me pause right here for just a second and make a little side note. Look here in verse 13 one more time. He says, in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt. Speaking oppression and revolt. There, your country right now is in the middle There's a particular sect of individuals that are just revolting against America. And let me just give you a word of caution and say, be very careful about somebody that would talk to you about that being spiritual. Because there are a certain group of people who act like it's spiritual. And they're connected with the NAACP. You go ahead and get upset with me, but I'm going to just say this as just as plainly as I can. Uh, you got a bunch of black churches around, and their claim to fame is trying to redo countries. And they'll be the first group of folks, not all black folks and not all black churches, but this is real common among black churches, they'll be the first folks to pull out a verse of Scripture and say, hey, we need to revolt against our government and establish a new one. You better be careful about somebody leading you into a path of thinking that that's spiritual. You're heading towards a Jim Jones sort of thing. Jim Jones got a bunch of fellows murdered and he used the Bible to do it. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. You better be careful about that stuff. Starts with the Bible and then they get in churches and then they say, you don't need the Bible, all you need is me. That's what Jim Jones did. Lead him down to wherever he did, South America. Drink the Mm Kool-Aid. All right. Verse 14, and judgment. Now look at this. Judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. You know what happened in Israel? Somebody was holding the truth up, and somebody dropped it. Somebody dropped the ball. And you know what that did? The truth didn't cease to be true. The truth never will. The truth is always the truth. But it fell. And when it fell, when the roof caved in on that building, you know what couldn't get in the building no more? Equity. You know what equity is? It's the impartial distribution of justice. That's making sure that you don't choose a vice president just because she's black and she's female. Everybody hollers about all that stuff. Oh, black rights and women's rights and all that stuff. Well, what it's turned into is now we're going to make decisions based purely on those things regardless of skill or whatever. That's just an example you get into the church and then it becomes a thing of, well, I don't want to hurt this person's feeling because of how much money they put into the plate or how, how much everybody in the community knows them and how much of a pull they have among the community so I can't make them mad. What you've done is you've taken the truth and you've dropped it. And now equity cannot enter. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. If it's good for one person, it's good for every single individual sitting in the building. What's a sin for one person is a sin for all of them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You say, how do you get to a place to where you start saying, well, they're sinning, but they're doing the same thing, and that's okay. How do you get to that place? Just take the truth and let it drop. The moment that you do that, you've got a situation where equity Cannot get in anywhere, and look at the next verse. Yea, truth faileth. Oh man, I thought the truth would always do something. Well, so long as you're opening your mouth and holding it up high, shut your mouth and see see what it does. Just just quit quit witnessing to your family and quit witnessing to your workers. Quit witnessing to your co-workers. Quit, quit striving. Quit contending earnestly for the faith. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens to equity. Let's see what happens to truth. Truth is still going to be true whether it's hiding deep down in your heart or whether you're opening your mouth and saying it out loud. It's still going to be true. But the fact, the fact is, is that if you ain't opening your mouth and propagating it, it ain't going to have no effect. Very easy to get in here on Sunday morning and start preaching and watching folks squirm and say, man, maybe I need to tone things down a little bit. Very easy to get into a situation to where you've got to do something that you know has got to embarrass somebody and say, well, you know, maybe I could just let this go or just do what you've got to do. Sat in my office today, I had to make a phone call and I sat around for about two hours trying to figure out how I could get around making that phone call because I knew that the phone call was going to end in contention. So I sat around for about two hours. I don't like contention, believe it or not. I don't, I don't enjoy getting in an argument with somebody. You say, what did you do? I finally picked up the phone call and made the phone call. Picked up the phone call and made the phone call. Picked up the phone and made the phone call. Glad I did. Didn't turn out to be too contentious. You, how do you know? You're going to open your mouth sometimes and it's not going to end as well as you hope. Other times you're going to open your mouth and, hey, hey, how do you know that the person that you have been hesitating to witness to, how do you know they're going to blow their top at you and flip their lid? How do you know? You don't. Unless you've done it before. Unless you've witnessed to them before. And even then you don't know. Things change. Yay. Truth faileth and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey and the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no judgment and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor nobody's praying about this you're sitting in a situation these guys are sitting in a situation in Israel where truth is falling in the street equity cannot enter so to speak. Truth has failed. And the Lord's looking around and saying, isn't there anybody that's going to pray about this thing? Isn't anybody in in here bothered over the fact that truth is just discarded like a napkin after you get done at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's? Come into church and you sit down and you listen to what's been prepared and what's been prayed over or you turn on the radio and listen to some preaching or somebody comes along and witnesses to a, a lost person and the receiving the recipient at the end of that interaction, at the end of that discourse, they grab the truth and wad it up and they've got no more use for it than a paper towel, throw it in the trash can. And that was not just the bad part. The bad part was that the fellows that were handing out Nobody's praying about it. Nobody's concerned. Nobody's worried. You know why America's in the shape that it's in? It's not D.C.'s fault. It's our fault. It's the church's fault. You know what the church did? The church quit holding up the truth. Let me ask you something. Can I ask you a question? I understand. I understand. The kingdoms of this world are not in subjection to Jesus Christ. I understand they're all apostates. I understand all that. This was a country that had a significant Bible influence. You know, we elect people from among our peers to go to D.C. None of them are born there, at least, not that you know of. But anyways, none of them are born to go to those offices. Same thing with the presidency. Same thing with the Supreme Court. Nobody's born royalty, and we would put them in as monarchs. We, we They're either appointed or they're elected. Well, listen, why is it that the best men that we've got are represented up there in D.C. as it is? I'll tell you why. The the church dropped the ball in holding up the truth, and now that's the best men that you can afford to put in D.C. We're in bad shape, folks. And you know whose fault it is? It's the churches. They've ceased to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Gotten distracted with trying to entertain folks. Gotten distracted with trying to make folks comfortable. Compromised to get a bigger crowd. Just forsake the truth. And now you've got a situation to where in 20 or 40 years, if we don't see some semblance of a revival, this place is not going to be fit for your kids to live in. I'll tell you what. You cease to let your church, you cease to let the church be the pillar and ground of the truth and watch what happens to this church. Lose your focus. Make the church about something other than what it's really about. Your comfort. How, whether or not you're entertained or whether or not you like it. Let it be about something that other than what it's really about. And watch what happens to this place. This place won't be fit for your kids to come to church to in 10 or 15 years. It won't take long. Well, that's your job, preacher. That's, that's what you're there to do. No, sir, that's what we're here to do. We, we. God, Lord, we thank you God, for the truth of your word, God, and I pray you help us, God. I I really pray, God, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord. pray that you'd help us to take the responsibility, God, for the situation that we're in as far as the world is concerned. But, God, I pray that you'd help us to do something about it, God. Help us, Lord, not to back down. Lord, help us, God, to do what we must do. Help us to be witnesses for you, God, with a spirit of grace, Lord, with a spirit of kindness. God, help us, Lord, I pray. God, we'll thank you, Lord, for what you do in our hearts. God, Lord, pray that you'd minister to each and every individual God that's here this evening. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.